the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. If righteousness is not the driving concern of your heart and does not characterize your life, then regardless of your profession of faith, you simply are not a child of God. You are still a child of Satan. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that saving faith is life-changing faith. Our current study is a series of lessons about how to recognize the children of God. When a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, the change is obvious. And it's just as dramatic a change when a child of Satan becomes a child of God. So what should we look for in our own lives for assurance of salvation? We'll start in 1 John chapter 3. So let's turn there in our Bibles now. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Let's open our Bibles finally, once again, back in 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read to you verses 4 through 10. 1 John 3, starting at verse 4. John writes, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother." Now, we are finally continuing and getting back to our study of 1 John, and we pick up where we left off in our last studied 1 John. So let me remind you of the basic message of the letter and John's primary point in writing these specific verses in chapter 3. As you'll recall, John wrote his letter to a group of Christians who were struggling with the assurance of their salvation. They were not sure that they were really saved. We know that because he tells us at the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John considered these people believers. They really believed they were struggling with assurance of salvation. And the reason they were struggling is because false teachers who came to be known later in church history as Gnostics had come into their church and taught that salvation was based on some mysterious inside esoteric knowledge. 
and not faith in Christ. The Gnostics believed that the only way to have a relationship with God was to possess some higher mysterious knowledge. And they're not talking about biblical knowledge. Talking about some inside knowledge that only they really knew. The typical person, the typical person in church was ignorant of this knowledge. And so essentially what they taught was salvation by knowledge, inside knowledge. And since John's readers did not possess this inside knowledge, the Gnostics said, you're not saved. You're not saved like we are. We know these things. You don't. Now, apparently by the time that John wrote his letter, these false teachers had departed from the church. And it may have been a group of churches. We're not sure. But they had departed. We know that because in chapter 2, verse 19, we read, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So even though they appear to have left these local churches or this local church, their negative effects were still being felt by these Christians. So with a tender and caring shepherd's heart, John writes these folks with really a twofold purpose. Purpose number one was to expose false teachers, these Gnostics, these heretics. John wanted them to know that they were phonies, and he wanted the true Christians to know these were phonies, these were fakes, these were not real Christians. And so throughout this letter, John makes some very bold statements against those who claim to be Christians, but obviously were not. And the proof, and this is important to understand, the proof that they were not true believers is that they lived ungodly lives and they taught error. Those are always the marks of unbelievers. They lived ungodly lives and they taught error, specifically error about Jesus Christ. Notice chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Ungodly lives, they were not interested in obeying the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Not only were they not interested in obeying the word of God, but they hated Christians. They did not care about anybody else but themselves. And then chapter 2, verse 22, John says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He means this is the very spirit of Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So the marks of these unbelieving false teachers disinterested in the word of God, ungodly lives, teaching error about Jesus Christ. John's second purpose, which is very similar to his first purpose here, was to help true believers gain the assurance of their salvation, as we already said. He accomplishes this by giving them a series of tests whereby they can objectively look at their lives and evaluate if their lives bear the marks of transformation, evidences of life that they have been saved and transformed by God's grace. So there are three tests that John keeps coming back to in his letter. He repeats himself a number of times in order to prove the validity of one's faith. And this is really just the reversal of what he's doing with the false teachers. With the false teachers, he's saying that they are ungodly and they do not believe the truth. On the opposite side, he's saying, but true believers are godly 
and they do believe the truth. They know the truth. And those become the three tests. Number one, there is the moral test, which focuses on our behavior. He tells us that true children of God evidence their salvation by a life that's characterized by obedience to the word of God. So chapter two, verse three says, by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The second test, which is similar to the first, is the test of brotherly love, the test of of whether or not one really loves other Christians, because non-Christians don't love Christians, but true Christians do love Christians. And so John says, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So a godly life, a life of love for other Christians. And then finally, there is the test of sound doctrine. These are all the tests that the unbelieving Gnostics failed. True believers pass. The test of sound doctrine, because those who are really saved evidence that they have come to faith in Christ by knowing the truth about Jesus and believing it and believing it. That's chapter two, verses 20 and through 23. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, meaning you have the Holy Spirit who resides in you and you know the truth about Christ. You don't have to be a brilliant theologian. You don't have to know all the nuances of theology about Christ, but you know the essentials. You understand who he is and what his death on the cross was about. He writes in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, he says, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So that's the third test. It's a test of sound doctrine. Now, in the passage that we have come to, that we have been studying in chapter 3, John returns once again to the moral test. And the precise point that he makes in these verses is that all true children of God are characterized by practicing righteousness. That is to say, they practice the truths of the word of God and are distinct in their behavior from the unsaved whom he calls in this passage, the children of the devil who are characterized not by practicing righteousness, but by practicing unrighteousness, sin. Now notice in chapter three, the verses we read, how often John mentions righteousness in these verses in relation to the true child of God and states that they do not practice sin like the children of the devil. Chapter 2, verse 29. That's really where it starts, verse 28. But he says in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Those who practice righteousness are his children. They're born of him. Chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Chapter 3, verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin. He means here, by the way, he cannot practice sin because he's born of God. In chapter 3, verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, frankly, what John teaches here is absolutely critical. And yet, in our day, this is something that 
a number of well-known Bible teachers choose to disregard. By that I mean there are some Bible teachers who stress that holy living is relatively unimportant. The only thing they would say that matters is that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And because you are secure in going to heaven when you die, it really doesn't matter how you live because how you live can never change your status as a Christian. So then holy living, they would say, is relatively unimportant. What matters is that you believe. Well, John challenges that thinking. John challenges that thinking because that thinking is wrong. He challenges it, folks, by saying that the only way you can tell if you have really come to faith in Christ is by the way you live and your heart's attitude behind your lifestyle. In other words, if righteousness is not the driving concern of your heart and does not characterize your life, then regardless of your profession of faith, you simply are not a child of God. You are still a child of Satan. Now, that's John's basic premise, and it's his message in these verses before us in chapter 3. But here's something special. John doesn't simply say that righteousness characterizes a child of God. He takes it a step further. He actually spells out why righteousness characterizes a child of God. In other words, he gives us several reasons. He gives us the theology behind this, why a true child of God practices righteousness and is not, nor could ever be, characterized by unrighteousness. Now, in our previous studies, we have looked at three of these reasons. I want to just review them as quickly as possible and then get to the fourth and final reason why a child of God practices righteousness. But in review, very quickly, John tells us the first reason a child of God practices righteousness is because of the nature of sin, the nature of sin. In verse four, he says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. In this statement, John defines, he defines sin as lawlessness, which means that sin isn't simply breaking one of God's laws. It is deliberate disregard for all of God's authority as revealed in his word. In other words, sin is active rebellion to the will of God. Instead of submitting ourselves to God and his moral laws, and that's what he's talking about, his moral laws, sin is doing whatever we want to do and therefore becoming a law unto ourselves. And the point that John is making in stating this is that children of God don't live lawless lives. We used to before we were saved because that's the way every unsaved person was, but we've been subdued. By Jesus Christ, we now have come under his authority. We're no longer Lord of our lives. He's Lord of our lives. See, a true child of God not only believes in Christ, but he has submitted his life to Christ. Now, obviously, there are, there are levels of sanctification and we grow in that. But there, there's a basic underlying truth in our lives that says Jesus Christ is king. And we come under his authority. We've surrendered to his lordship over us. A true child of God is a disciple of Christ. Therefore, he's committed to following the Lord, even though he stumbles along the way. So no true child of God lives a life of lawlessness anymore. That would be completely contrary to the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So that's the first reason John gives why a child of God practices righteousness is because of the nature of sin. You couldn't possibly 
know Jesus Christ and live lawless. It's impossible. Secondly, he tells us we practice righteousness because children of God understand the purpose of Christ's death. We understand the meaning of Christ's death in relation to our sin. We see this in verse 5. You know, meaning you as a believer, you know this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In this statement, John is declaring the essential meaning of Christ's death. He died to take away our sins. Having no sin of his own, in his death he bore our sins in his own body. That is to say that the lawlessness that once characterized our lives has been removed by Christ's death. John's point is to say that since every true believer understands that Christ removed the guilt of our sin in his death, how could we possibly continue lawless living today? In other words, why would you come to Christ broken over your sin, repentance, poverty-stricken spiritually, desiring his forgiveness of your sin if you just want to continue in a sinful lifestyle. It absolutely makes no sense. Why would you come to him for salvation from your sins, understanding that he died for your sins, and yet you want to continue living as if you were a lawless sinner? No one would do that. No true believer would ever do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't come to Christ. He he only comes because he knows he's a sinner. He doesn't want to continue like that. That's John's point. True children of God understand the meaning of the death of Christ. Therefore, they know what it means to be set free from the guilt and the burden of their sins so they don't continue practicing sin. Now they practice righteousness. So John has given us two reasons. Because of the nature of sin, because, uh, because children of God understand the purpose of Christ's death. The third reason John tells us why a true child of God practices righteousness is because they have a relationship with Christ. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, to abide in Christ means to remain in fellowship with him. In other words, to have an ongoing relationship with him. John says that the one who has a relationship with Christ no longer sins. Let me clarify this. We went over this last we studied this, but I need to remind you. The key to understanding what John means by this is to know that the verb sins is in the present tense in the Greek text, meaning continual sinning. John is not saying that once you become a Christian, you no longer commit any sin. That would contradict what he said in chapter 1. We do sin, so we confess our sins. What John is saying is that once you become a Christian, you no longer, watch this, habitually practice ongoing sinful defiance and rebellion against Christ in your lifestyle. In other words, a true child of God no longer practices sinning as a way of life like he once did before he was saved. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a sin struggle. It doesn't mean that he doesn't fall down a bit. But he doesn't live the way he used to live. Total domination by sin. And the reason for this is because the moment we entered into a relationship with Christ, the Lord did subdue our sinful hearts. And he gave us a new nature that wants to obey and please him. 
So these are the three reasons that we've already studied. We want to look at the fourth and final reason that John gives for why a child of God practices righteousness rather than sin. And his fourth reason is this, because Jesus Christ is the source of our righteousness. He's the source of a child of God's righteousness. It stems from him, not the child of God. Verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, he says, just as he, he meaning Christ, is righteous. Now, notice the first thing that John does, folks, is he gives us a warning, gives them a warning. He warns this flock about being deceived. And apparently, the reason John was compelled to say this is because the Gnostic teachers, though maybe not in their church assemblies, were trying still to deceive these folks, maybe by personal contact. And they were telling them, and this is important for you to understand, they were telling them, you can be a Christian and yet live like the devil. It really doesn't matter how we live. Yeah, we're Christians. No, we don't really care what the Bible says. We're going to be immoral. We're going to be unethical. We're going to lie. But we're Christians. That's apparently what they were saying. Understand what the Gnostics believed. They thought that all physical matter was evil. That, that is a basic underlying belief of Gnosticism. It was later developed further in the second century, but this is the seed of it all here. They thought that all physical matter was evil and that only the spirit was good. Therefore, what they concluded was this. They concluded, at least some of them, not all, but some concluded that evil done by the body had no connection to the spirit so that it really didn't matter how a person lived. It's your body. It's okay. It's not really connected to your soul, your spirit. Your body's evil anyway. You can't control it. So just do whatever you want. John is teaching against that. John's teaching against that. He's teaching us not to be deceived by anyone who claims to know Christ and yet lives like the devil and says they're still saved. They are not saved. In other words, he is warning us about deceptive teachers who say that holiness is unconnected to being a Christian. And John counteracts that deception by stating this profound truth. He says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous, he meaning Christ. Now, what does he mean by this? He means that the, that the reason someone, by someone we mean a child of God, practices righteousness is because he's been given, note this, a righteous nature within him. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. We've been given a righteous new nature within us so that our righteous behavior reflects the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? The moment you come to Christ for salvation, you have a brand new nature. It is a righteous nature. Peter says it is a divine nature so that your behavior will be righteous and it will reflect the very righteousness of Jesus Christ who now lives within you. Have you ever seen a duck grow fangs, hang out with wolves, and run and hunt with the pack and howl at the moon? Eh, me neither. Ducks look like ducks, they swim like ducks, and they quack like ducks. 
That's because it's their nature. When someone is born again and becomes a child of God, they receive a new nature and behave according to that new nature, even though the old nature might rebel from time to time. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, the radio expression of the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we are deeply grateful to and for the generous people whose sacrificial gifts make these daily broadcasts possible. If you'd like to be a part of our support team, we do hope you'll remember to be faithful to your own church first. You can learn about how simple it is to make a gift by visiting our website, versebyverseradio.org, and clicking on the Giving tab. While you're there, check out the Message Archive page. We have today's broadcast and hundreds of previous ones available for streaming or downloading. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. C.S. Lewis said, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.